Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to the peripheral. I hope everyone's been doing great. I have several interviews coming out. I've actually been a little backlogged with interviews, so that's a good thing. And I might have to release an extra episode. I'm sure no one's going to complain because I have so many interviews, so many great stories that I want to get out there sooner than later. But on today's episode, I received a message from Danielle about her husband and his incredible story. I had no idea what to expect. He had a near-death experience, if you want to call it that, which inspired him to write a book. We're going to talk about what happened to him. We're going to talk about some medical trauma. We're going to talk about the depression and emotional ramifications of this event. Matthew has a lot of wonderful things to say, a lot of great insight and advice that really inspired me, and I hope he inspires you too. So Matthew, I got a message (laughs) from your wife, and she said that you had an incredible story. And I had to reread her message twice before I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? (laughs) So apparently you had a heart attack at age 40. Cardiac arrest. Yeah. So what was going on? I guess maybe should we start what was happening before that? Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah. So over eight years ago, it was like November. And Uh for anybody that is walking around and feels like they have a knife in their back, like somebody stabbed you and that knife is still stuck in your back, you know what? Go to the doctor. Go to the doctor right away. Because I was walking around, and I was just hurting. And I did go to the doctor. And the doctor, it wasn't my doctor. It was another doctor. He kind of pushed me in and out. I was 40 years old. My blood pressure was high. It was really high. He's like, oh, well, you know what? You're going to have to get check that out eventually. And I'm like, well, okay. And he kind of sent me on my way. A few days later, I'm coaching my son's soccer practice. And running around, and I'm out of breath, but it's cold, and I'm not thinking anything about it. And But I'm like, man, I feel like I was feeling terrible. And as I'm driving back, I'm driving by the hospital, I'm like, man, I should stop. But I didn't. And then I'm like, man, I should stop at my parents. That's on the way, and then go to the hospital. I'm like, and then I didn't. And then I went home, and I'm like, well, if I feel bad in the morning, I'll go. And I didn't again. Well, I made it to work. And I dropped dead. Boom. Slam on the concrete floor. Were you like just walking into the front door? Were you walking to your office? Like, how did you into the shop? I was working at a, uh, we built filters for big machinery. I walked in, I worked with another guy back there. I guess I said something to him, but he just kind of threw it off. And then he heard something. And luckily he came rushing over and he found me. And I was out. By the grace of absolutely everything, right next door happened to be a fire station. Oh, jeez. <laughs> right? So they made it right over. So, I mean, I was out, and that's kind of where the whole thing began. It was basically to Widowmaker. I'm not very good with the technical stuff. I've kind of I've shied away from it. I'm not very good with that. No, it's. I think you got the point across. You, right, right. your heart stopped and was having trouble. Yeah, it was. It was done. So now that I can remember, it got me back a little bit, and I remember coming to, and then I remember, boom, I was gone. Do you remember anything from when you were gone? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that then. All right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So next thing I know. I came to with a ventilator down my throat going, what happened? Boom, in the hospital. And it was five days later. I've been frozen where they lower your temperature to find out what's going on with you. So they froze me and then they, uh, you know, recooked me and I came back. 
Lucky. He thought you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, luckily. And then when I came back, they had done so much damage to me, reviving me, that my internal organs were basically like mush. So even before they could get to my heart, they had to fix my spleen and my liver and my kidney because there were cuts all over them. And so I had to deal with that and like sickness in the hospital. And this was even before I had the open heart surgery. And people don't realize, like, when you're doing CPR, it breaks ribs. Oh. Like, chest compressions, you're breaking that person's ribs to actually circulate their blood. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's how it works, you know, and I you know, have three little pin marks where the adrenaline went in. Yeah, they crushed everything. And that was before they cracked me open. So you have to kind of kind of add that to the entire experience. Yeah, to know? the trauma that your body's enduring just to revive you. Yeah. Right to survive the amazing ability that we can bounce back from that yeah geez so you wake up in the hospital you have this ventilator and what do they tell you well and this is the hardest part because that entire experience is like so shrouded in weirdness coming out of it you're just kind of like okay whatever you know like I guess this is going on. So even the fact that I did have a heart attack, everything was kind of like, okay, we're going to take you downstairs and we're going to do this to you. And it's like, well, okay. And then it's like, oh, okay, now you're going to go have your heart worked on. It's like, oh, okay. Kind of like this fog. And it's a weird thing. I weirdly knew that I was going to be okay at that point. So I kind of went along with everything. And it was kind of like, well, I guess so. But I could have been in a car accident or a plane could have dropped on me. Any number of things felt like that, at least. Yeah. I, wow. So you kind of wake up and now you're going to go into open heart surgery. Is that the chronological order? Well, first I have to go in surgery to fix all my internal organs. They have to stitch all those up before I can even do that. Even think about having the open heart surgery. So they did that. And then there was like, it's very hard for me to timing, but I had complications. I had a blood clot, but then they were eventually able to go in. And luckily for me, they were able to use the mammary glands for my heart. So I was able to use my own parts because I was so young and healthy and all that really contributed to the fact that my body was able to withstand the amount of punishment that it ended up taking. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I have a story for you. I'll tell you at the end of our interview, though. <laughs> but it's similar. Yeah. How long were you in the hospital for? I was in it for a month. For a month. That's a long yeah. time. It's a very yeah. long time. Yeah. It's an incredibly long time where, like, even when you get out, you're like, are you sure? I'm, like, okay? Because you certainly don't feel it. I, I don't know if you'd ever feel ready to. It's interesting. Like, one of the things, like, the book that I'm sure we'll get to one of the things was, uh, um, oh God, what was his name? Wrote 1984. Orson Welles, yeah. Orson Welles. So Orson Welles, he was talking about how he got shot in World War One, right? And he was waiting in the hospital and waiting and waiting for a cameraman to show up. And he's like, I'm so glad you came to me because I can perfectly explain what happened to me. He goes, being shot feels like a hole got torn through your reality. And when he said that, I hit home. Even more so because trying to explain like what having your chest popped open, right? And your heart worked on and put back together is really like having your reality torn apart. It sounds brutal and horrific. I guess. So I was in the hospital for what? A month. Everything was weird. Everything was incredibly weird coming out of that. Like in my book, I explain it as ghost ain't real because I felt like I was a ghost. You couldn't convince me otherwise, really, for about a year. Basically, because everything, you know, I didn't realize then, but everybody, I thought everybody was acting different, but it was me who was. I had no forward or backwards. I had no memory outside of the immediate. So it's it, like, like to be raw, you know, mm -hmm. like, I don't know how more raw you could be. And it, were you... I mean, that doesn't sound like you were in a daze or a haze. That sounds like you were very, very aware and present. Yeah, both, actually. A weird 
Hayes days where you're only present. And it's a, at that point, it's kind of a scary present because you can't add any new information. You're kind of going by the seat of your pants. It's almost like you're bored again. It was almost like I was reset. I was like reset at zero, except for I had all these, uh, I could speak. It's like amnesia, but you're just not, you can remember things, you can remember how to do things, but you're just not retaining any short-term information at the moment. Oh, at all. And, you know, I mean, to the point of not remembering people's names that I know I've known for the, the entirety of my life, but then knowing how to do stupid things that you don't even realize. My biggest thing in the end was, is I'm a guitarist and I've been playing for now it's like 20, 25 years or something like that. And it was a song of mine that I've been playing, I've been working on probably the entire time of that. So it's kind of like my benchmark, right? I played it thousands of times. And it's like a weird, it's, it's just a chord change, right? Simple chord change. And I could not remember that. Like I could play chords. I could do all that kind of stuff. I could like, I could bang around on guitar, but I could not remember that for the life of me. And it was the most bizarre. It's just the most bizarre thing. It's like knowing how to drive a car, but not knowing what that is a car. Yeah. Yeah. This is totally different, but I have really debilitating ADHD and I've just gone through a death in the family. So the grieving brain on top of my ADHD brain, I have very similar symptoms. I, right. I, I'm like, yeah, I don't remember people's names that I've known all my life. I can't come up with a certain topic or thing just right off the bat. I have to sit here and really try, really focus. And sometimes it just never comes. It's just gone. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a weird acceptance thing, right? Yeah. We like, I had to accept the fact that sometimes I would get so mad at myself because I, it'd it's be frustrating. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something as simple as looking at, can you hand me that cup? Right. And looking at the cup and going, and not knowing that word for cup, but going, you know, the thing that holds water that you drink out of that, you know, like uh, that has hot or cold stuff, you know, and it, that thing, you know, it's round. You know, and you're like, you can't get that cup. Yeah. You know, you can't find that cup. And it used to, it would drive me mad and it would throw me off, right? It would just throw me into a tailspin of despair almost. And then I had to accept it. I had to accept the fact that sometimes that happens. It's like, yeah, sometimes that word doesn't come to me. Who cares? And that's, God, man, you're kind of speaking my language right now because I was diagnosed with depression and I'm like, I'm not depressed. I am just frustrated and giving up because I can't do the things that I used to do. I yeah. can't think of this thing. And they're like, oh, well, you're just depressed or you're just grieving. And I'm like, no, there's something else wrong here. And you yeah. just kind of put that into words perfectly. It's just, you have to just accept that that's no longer a thing. You can't do that anymore. You're not going to come up with that word and you just have to move on. <laughs> yeah. Like move on and be like, forgive yourself. Right. Like a lot of this is just kind of being incredibly hard on yourself and not allowing the space to grow. Right. So you stop yourself from growing because you won't allow it. You're like I keep stopping at this point. And it's like, well, no, no, just go past it and see what happens. Then you get past it and you're like, oh, well, I'll just drink out of the cup. Doesn't matter what it's called. <laughs> you can call it all sorts of things, right? Yeah. So you, you have this weird filter going on and you thought that other people were behaving differently. Oh, man. I, you know that alternate universe, right? It's like I was dropped into a different place. And I'm like, why is everybody acting so differently? And it, I mean, even to the point where I have a scar on, on me, right? And I, I was convinced that it was on the other side of my body before. Like, I'm like, no, you know? And then I realized later on that, like, I was just looking in the mirror. I was kind of wrong. But I was convinced forever that, man, I don't think I got sent back into the right place. What was there anything in particular, I guess, that were they acting more hostile, more passive? Oh, no. no, not at all. It's hard to explain. Like, how, how did you perceive it? Yeah. You know, it? It was all in my head, right? Yeah. It was all me kind of imagining the fact that everybody's, of course, they're treating me differently, man. I almost just died. 
Like I was a fragile being. I could barely stand for, you know, 15 minutes. Of course, they're going to treat me differently. So it was all kind of my own ideas of this stuff and just trying to come to terms. Like even with what happened, it still, it did not, like the whole idea that like that happened didn't make sense. You know, like it just, dying and coming back, I'll tell you one thing, it kind of makes you angry. You know? Really? really? That's not expected. <laughs> no, nobody expects that. And it's a weird thing, man. Yeah. Weird thing because it makes this very real. You're like, whoa, holy crap. Are you angry with others because you don't think they're taking life as seriously as they should? Or are you angry at yourself because you're different? Yourself. It would be with yourself. Strictly 100% just kind of like, man, like, is this all I'm doing? Is this it? Is that all it was? It's the billion questions. You know, you're supposed to be grateful and you're supposed to be thankful and all this kind of stuff. And you're just kind of bitter at life. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's we all saw Ebenezer Scrooge when he comes out and he's thankful because he's not dead. Yeah, yeah. and it's funny because after a while, I started like looking up other people where like kind of similar things happen, and they come out angry, kind of angry at this thing, you know, kind of like fists up, like, oh shit, maybe I should fight a little more. I guess more like that, more like. I'm trying to put it into words for you. Maybe just you're kind of disappointed in yourself. Like that's all there is to life. Like I need not waste my time. I need, what have I been doing? You're a little frustrated that if that was the end of it, then wow, what a waste. Is that sort of? Well, that, there's a point of that. It's more of to get to the root of it is depressed. Is a deep, deep, dark depression of kind of, this is all there is. And you're like, you're kind of bitter about that here. And it's kind of a weird thing to be because it didn't last. It didn't last. It's something that you have to break out of. It's something you have to evolve from. I'm glad you're saying that though, because I... Like most people, I would just think you'd come out of this and you'd be so grateful and so happy and have this new lease on life. But that's not the initial emotion. No, no, not at all, man. It's for me specifically, I saw how feeble I was. Yeah, it's it's that chink in the armor, right? You're like, oh, well, I got the biggest chink in the armor, right? My armor was exposed. I was defeated in battle. Like, the scars are there. But you you did survive. And, yes. and as feeble as you might feel, you start oh. to realize, I've been through a little bit more than the next guy has, right? Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, man. And it takes a while. And, and, you know, I mean, I think there's like an astronomical percentage of people who have had heart surgery go through depression. It's almost like you're going to be depressed, right? And like for somebody like me that was depressed before, mild 40-year-old man depression, right? Okay. This was not that. This was a terminal depression. This was not being able to get out of bed depression. This is just darkness. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Your heart is your core, and this was a depression all the way to your core. To the core. So when you are going through this, how are you behaving towards others? How are your relationships going? I'm trying not to get in anybody's way. I'm trying. I'm trying as best as I can. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good husband. I was trying to give the best I can, and I don't know if there's any more I could have. You started that sentence with, I was trying to stay out of everybody's way, which everybody's there to support you. And it sounds like you might've had a little bit of, a little bit of trouble accepting other people supporting you and helping you because you didn't want to be a burden. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for us to not. You know, I had son, my sons were... How 11 and 14 when it happened. So they're going through their young lives, kind of stuck with that in the middle. And, you know, the last thing you really need is is dad holding you back, right? And I I didn't want to do that. And I wasn't going to. Or I wasn't going to try. But they want dad in their life and they want to love and support you too. You got to accept it. That was there. That that was there. Dad made them dinner. Dad did everything. I became the stay-at-home dad. So when did you start to, I guess, pull yourself out of this funk? It took me, it took me five years. Yeah. It took me five years to do it. It took me four years for my brain to start coming, to remember that song Mm -hmm. that I was telling you about. Yeah. It took four years. For one day, it went, there it is. And the second that happened, I went, hmm, maybe there's more. Because once my brain came back, because I, I couldn't, I just couldn't get past myself. I couldn't get better because I couldn't motivate myself. There were, I didn't have that voice in my head saying, come on, let's go. Yeah. Right? Hey, get up. That guy. You know, me. I couldn't find him. He wasn't there. But once he came there, he's like, hey, hold on a second. What is this? We don't like this. This is not a good place to be. Let's see if we can get better. Yeah, that's, it's so hard because when you're in this clinical depression, when you're in this state, you find every reason to stay there. No. You know, and you, and it hurts to feel again. It hurts to want to get up it hurts to change and it's scary to i think i gave you the first five chapters but a lot of my book it deals with falling in holes right and depression is like falling in a hole and when you fall in a hole you're kind of stuck in the middle you have to realize two things you got to see is it bottomless or is it weightless right and when you're depressed it's, it's bottomless that hole is just you're never going to find the bottom it's going to keep on going but if you realize that it's weightless, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very hard thing. But it's such a simple state. It's the hardest thing to tell oneself, especially when you're in that hole. Especially when you get out and you fall right back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I mean, I was like, I didn't even realize. I went to my doctor. He's like, hey, let's take this little questionnaire for depression, right? And I came out and he's like, oh, we need to get you on something right now. Yeah. So I got some and it got me out of the hole. And it's like, man, sometimes you got to do whatever it takes to get out of that damn hole. Sometimes you need a little help. Yes. Let me give you a hand out of that hole. You know what I mean? It sucks because you don't want to be a burden. You don't want to ask for help. And even when you do try to seek help, whether it be from a doctor or a therapist, sometimes they reschedule on you, you know, and... Every single setback 
it might just be a minor setback for a regular person, but it's a huge roadblock because it took all of your effort to just make that phone call in the first place. And if they don't return it, you might not make that second phone call. Oh, yeah. Man, it's that, it's that, you know, working out, man. You stop working out, you know, you forget about it. You're like, oh, what happened? Yeah, depression is like, for me, it really hit ahead because I started adding alcohol to it. And of course, that's a great idea, you know, and that exasperated it worse. So like for part of me was also changing my entire lifestyle of that. It's like cutting out alcohol completely. At that point, I, I realized five years had passed. I'm like, well, this is done. And, you know, I haven't had a drink in three years. And I'm proud of you. I'm going to have to say that for people out there, you know, with depression and you do want to get better, try that. Try that first. Yeah. That's the start, man. And something you said earlier, you know, you had to tell yourself to get out of bed. You had to tell yourself, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And and no one else can tell you that. No one else can reason with you when you're in that state. They couldn't. They couldn't. And they tried. And it's one of those things where it just like it didn't register until I decided that moment I'm getting better now. Like now. And, you know, I mean, I, I can even think back. It was the moment I quit drinking and I'd been drinking so much that I ended up in the hospital because I, uh, you know, I had DTs. And it's the hospital's the last place you want to be because <laughs> you end up back in this place, but then it ended up being this thing that worked out beautifully for me. So it's one of those things. You're the master of your own uh, domain. Don't forget that ever. When you went back to the hospital for the DTs, was that a moment? Was that a milestone of awakening for you? Yeah. Well, before that was, before that me, I'm not drinking again, was that the ending up in the hospital was the byproduct. The withdrawal. Yeah. Yeah. It was the payment due for what I did. I just want to point this out real quick. A lot of people don't realize that if you're an alcoholic and you stop drinking cold turkey, it can kill you. Oh, I can kill you. I almost died. Yeah. It's like one of the only drugs that the withdrawal can actually kill you. Oh, man. Hallucinations. Yeah. And it just goes to tell you how debilitated alcohol can be for you. Right? Like, there it is. It could literally kill you if you stop. I had a friend whose father was an alcoholic and he had, I don't know if it was a diabetic issue or what, but he had to go to the hospital for surgery and they were doing the surgery and it took two or three days for him to recover and he wasn't drinking. And in that time, he went into withdrawal from alcohol and he ended up dying because the hospital wasn't going to bring him a fifth of whiskey, you know? Man. Wow. Yeah. And so... You quit drinking and you end up in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Again, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, this full circle kind of thing, you know, like, yeah, it's that type of thing is very, well, I mean, it's humbling in such a way. It was kind of like my last, I guess, I don't know, I don't know the right way to say it. But it just started pushing me in the right direction. It pushed me into me, into me remembering me, into remembering who I am, what I do, all of it. Because depression also just takes you away from yourself. It does. You're depressed. You start drinking to not feel as depressed, to feel better. So you're self-medicating with alcohol, but that's really just pulling you down even more. And then you get off the alcohol and then that hurts you still. And, you know, that could have pulled you right back going to the hospital and stuff, but you stayed strong through that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's when I kind of decided on a, my own kind of mission, I suppose. I decided that, you know what, let's find out where I am health-wise, physically, mentally, spiritually like the entirety of it let's see where i can be my pain level still it's still there now right the only way i can explain it is i've had like a post-surgery ache ever since it happened 
it's like my nervous system is kind of on fire. Like I've, I've freshly got my ass kicked every morning. So I had to figure out, okay, where am I at? And the only way I could do that is kind of by deciding that I was going to get a little bit better every day. I can get a little bit. And it started by walking a little bit and doing a little bit of push-ups and started doing like, like some reading and checking out stuff. But, you know, that little bit, right, that little bit better gets a lot better after a while. And you start realizing that. So I kind of found out where my baseline was and was like, okay, I think there's more. It's like, let's see how far we can go here. And it was like, when I started walking, I'm walking and then, you know, I'm like, hey, I wonder if I could do, I wonder if I could do a 5K, right? The 5K and it was like just over three miles. And I'm like, man, I'm already walking three miles. Maybe I can do a 10K, right? So then I got up to walk in a very fast 10K. And then I didn't want to go any further because that's plenty. You know, I was with seven miles. You know, that's, to, that's like half your day. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's go back to this. Three miles is perfect for me. Yeah. It loosens up all the joints and make everything feel good. I started this process of doing that. And then it brought me back to all the things that I love, the art, you know, writing and painting play music and do all that kind of stuff. And once I was, once that started coming back to me, then it was like everything's, then this life is worth me, you know? I, I know that people say it in a very flippant way when like somebody's like, I'm depressed and they're like, oh, well, go take a walk. It's not that easy. You have to want to take that walk. And then you continue taking that walk and that walk leads you to better things. Yeah, or maybe you just, Tell yourself you're listening to music and you happen to be walking or listening to your podcast and you just happen to be walking. Turning into something else, like, like walking for me became an exercise in letting my brain work unfiltered. I kind of turn the music up and kind of walk real fast and push the body and then the brain, my thinking started coming back. That thinking just kept going from there. From there, you had an idea. Uh, you were inspired to write a book? Yes. Yeah. Well, it was crazy because my cousin years before had been like, man, with all this stuff that's happened to you, I can't wait to read your book. And my brain wasn't there, but it stuck in me. And I was like, man, I would like to read that book too. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought. Cause, cause anytime I ever thought somebody told me about something in my past, I always kind of thought it was, they're talking about somebody else. Right. Mm. And I'm like, oh, man, I kind of like this guy. You know, like, oh, this guy sounds cool. Jeez, this guy could play guitar and write and do all this kind of cool stuff. I wish I could do that, right? Yeah. When it came back to me, it, that thing never left where she said that. And I'm like, geez, that would be cool. So I got COVID on December 31st, what was it, 2019. And in a fever dream, the book came to me, another book came to me at the same time. The book came to me and I wrote the first page, almost as is, started going from there. So you're writing your fever dream book first. And then oh. you're gonna, yeah, okay. Well, like, it's like, nope, here it is. And, and of course, what it was and what it was in the beginning and what it turned into were completely different things, of course. I was, I was going to kind of tell my story and through like some metaphor or something else. And then I just, after, at some point, I'm like, nope, you're going to tell your story, man. It's your story. And your story is interesting enough. You don't have to colorize it or fluff it up or anything. You, it's fine the way it is. So when, I'm going to go back to when you had your heart attack and when you were unconscious, was there any memory of that? What, you know, the near-death experience that you had? Yeah, man. I mean, it's such perilous like territory to be like, man, it's it's not here. I got transported somewhere somewhere else, and I remember like immediately afterward, people would kind of ask me, and they quickly like change the attention. But I'd always kind of tell people, man, I was kind of stuck in Abraham's bosom. If you understand that, kind of in between, right? And I know that, but I also know that right before I came back. I was right there and, you know, I was kind of given the choice. 
And I'm like, I want to go back. And in an instant, that's where I pop back in. Probably a bad comparison, but it's like if if you've ever used LSD or psychedelics and then somebody mm-hmm. asks, what was that like? It's hard to explain that. It's more of a feeling, an understanding, a a state. And trying to explain that is near impossible to somebody. Oh well, yeah. I, I don't know if you're I don't know if you're supposed to. And that's something even for yourself. Yeah, I tell you kind of like people come back and kind of angry. It's because you can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Right? I can't tell you, nor are you gonna believe what I tell you. That has its own set of frustrations i guess you know i mean it's more of an acceptance thing that hey it's okay what happened to you happened to you yeah it's hard to explain an out-of-body experience to somebody it's hard to explain a near-death experience it's hard to explain a psychedelic experience none of those things make sense in our plane of reality and when you're experiencing it it feels like such clarity i think i might be wrong you said that you felt like you were in between, but you yeah. knew you knew exactly how you felt. <laughs> you, no, know? Man, you know that you don't have a body, man. I can tell you that much. That would be the biggest thing. Like anybody that died tell you, like, you, you're missing something. Mm-hmm. Something ain't there. And you're like, where the where is that? Something's supposed to be there and it's not there. Something ain't right. Something beyond it isn't right. I remember, yeah, some of you guys asked me because they're talking about like DMT or something like that. Yeah. And talking about the experience and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like this. And it was like, well, no. It's like one of those things, the difference between, I guess, real and real and fake. It's tough. It's tough to differentiate that. Weirdly enough, an uncle of mine had a cardiac arrest, didn't realize he had had one. His health was just going downhill, and he ended up getting a pacemaker, but they didn't realize that part of his heart tissue was dead, so the pacemaker wasn't really working. And then they had to go back in to do surgery, and he ended up having a blood clot and dying from that. But he told me some stories about the in-between thing, and he made some comments about it. And I could tell that he just was just very matter of fact about it well that's the scary part is it's the only way to be right you're like this isn't some kind of cloud bullshit you know what i mean you haven't read it yet but there's a uh a quote one of the other chapters that goes everybody believes you when you say you've been to albuquerque but not if you've seen the face of god yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know i i might be off on a little bit of a tangent here and i don't want to go off topic but we always consider the fourth dimension, what's past the third dimension. And I, whether you want to call it the spiritual world, what do you, whether you want to call it the metaphysical world, the world that's beyond, I look at that and I just think that could be what we consider the fourth dimension if you want to put it in a scientific term. And how do you explain, how do you explain to a two-dimensional being that there's a third dimension? You, you can't. Well, well physics, quantum physics is doing a pretty good job. They're doing a pretty damn good job. You start looking at all that kind of stuff, man. You start going deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're going to find what you're looking for. And that's why that kind of the matter of fact thing. There was people who say what happened, they get mad at you. You know what I mean? And you're like, I was just telling you. You asked me. It's almost to the point where you just kind of quit. It's not worth it. That's why I wrote a book. Got to explain to the world. (laughs) Yeah. Trying to explain, you know, I'm failing to explain. You will. You'll do a good job, I'm sure. All I can say is just be you and don't hold back when you're trying to explain something like that because there's no, I I don't want to say there's no right or wrong answer. There's only, it's so, there's no way to say anything wrong with it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not here changing minds, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to convince anybody of my truth. You might change a few, though. I promise you that. Hopefully. Maybe. Right. So one other thing. You fainted at a Starbucks. (laughs) What's going on with there? Okay. So so I write this book about crashing to the concrete floor, right? We, my wife and I were hanging out. My son's having friends over. We decided to, to leave and go to Starbucks. 
we're sitting in Starbucks, and this is like literally right after I finished writing this book. We're sitting in Starbucks. I look at my wife, and I'm like, man, I'm really, if anything, I'm really proud of finishing this book. She's like, wow, that's great. And she's like, let's, let's go home. And I'm like, stand up. And I'm like, man, I, I, I'm really tired. And I'm like, I need to sit down. And I go sit down. Next thing I know, I wake up and I'm on the floor, bleeding from my head. I crash on the concrete floor again. A detective came and knocked on the door. And I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. So I finished the book about crashing on the concrete floor, only to crash on the concrete floor. And then when you pass out in a Starbucks, it's like it, all of that comes rushing back in. Like, did he just have another cardiac arrest? Did he just die in front of us? Because they don't know. Oh, you know? my wife's definitely, I think she thought I was going to die right then, man. Yeah. Yes, that for her. Yeah, that one wasn't fun, man. That felt like a that. I don't know. I I've, I've been really healthy, so it really felt like a betrayal to me. You know, like mm-hmm. yeah. really betrayed by my body. I'm like, yo, we eat good, walk, you know, like all this stuff, and this is what you do to me. Well, it turns out, like, I was just I exhausted myself writing this book basically yeah. i was dehydrated and passed out your body just said all right we're done for the day we're done. <laughs> hit my head bleeding all over the place and then i was just mad i was mad again i'm like i can't believe this i ended up back in the hospital with wires and all sorts of crap attached to me because they're checking my heart obviously Every, everyone assumes the worst here. Yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, me too. I'm like, bro, is this really how it's going to happen again? So I get there. They start checking my heart. And doctor says, doctor's like, well, we see something wrong. We're going to have to go in. And I'm like, well, okay, it's been eight years, right? People get stents. It happens after this. I knew this day might come, right? Yeah. Or would, will come. So, okay. Well, a bunch of insurance insanity just started going on, right? And I got out of the hospital before I got the angiogram I was supposed to get. Well, a month later, I end up going into this hospital, right? I'm supposed to get this angiogram. They tell me, oh, you can't come in here and get this angiogram. I'm like, well, okay, what, what do I need to do? They're like, you need to go to this other hospital. I go to this other hospital, which isn't that far away. Another doctor goes and gives me all these tests again and goes, you have the heart of a marathon runner. 
<laughs> you're perfectly healthy. I say, you don't need to go in and do anything? They're like, no. You just need to come back in six months and we'll keep checking. And that, my friend, is why we get second opinions. <laughs> why people, man, when, when something's telling you to go to another doctor, go to another doctor, people. I, I don't get me started on the medical industry, but like, no, I, I, yeah, man. oh man, doctors all day. Yeah, the in the insurance companies, like that'll give you a freaking heart attack over any yeah, of the doctors. That was, that was, you know what? I'll tell you what. That was the worst thing about it, yeah. right? Is that they kept pushing me along, and I kept thinking that I needed to have a, a heart procedure, right? So for one month, they strung me along. Okay, I'm walking around every day thinking that my heart might stop because I. How would I know better, right? Yeah. The last thing they told me is that you need, we need to go in and we're going to have to put things in because you have a problem, okay? That's all I know. That's all I need to know. I'm like, great, I'll be there. I the want to we, live. I want yeah. to be a father. Yeah. Yes, man, here, we're good. You know, I'm obviously in an immense amount of anxiety and all this kind of stuff towards doctors and rooms and all that kind of stuff. It's, and I have to prepare myself to even go in. But I was prepared. I was ready for this. And then to find out that I didn't even need it, that they were going to go in my body without even needing to. I don't know. It just, yeah. Well, thank God I'm healthy. That's all I care. And then in the end, I'm like, all right, I'm healthy. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a real problem, you have a real problem and it needs to be addressed. But it's the mind over matter. They're telling you there's a problem. We have to fix it. So now you behave as if there's a problem. And, yeah. and you have to think that my thinking, that was my thinking for a long time was that like, I can go to any minute. This heart's just going to stop. Okay. So th thinking like that is no good for you. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that. And so it brought me back to thinking like that again. And that was worse than anything. It was the fact that they could drag me down. Like I, could, I got sent back. I was disappointed in myself, but I'm like, man, there's really no other way because it's like you're dealing with your heart, right? These people are messing with you. But it's like, hey, you need to drink more water, dude. <laughs> yeah. Stop drinking all that coffee. Drink some yeah. water. <laughs> yeah, if you stay hydrated, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And I go, oh, okay. I'm sure half the people listening are going to be like, don't tell me not to drink my coffee. <laughs> oh, like, oh, hey, how about this? Drink water with your coffee. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> So what would be like a point that you would want to convey to somebody that's either has gone through this or is trying to understand somebody that's going through this? Is there any talking, anything that you're like, I wish I could have said this to my wife or I wish somebody would have said this to me? Well, yeah. Any, well, the thing with anybody that's had an issue with their heart is that you need to watch out for the depression signs. And to be ahead of it, to not let it drag. Because somebody that it happens to, like me, I didn't even know I was going through the process. It was just happening, right? And then it was, then it happened. And it didn't matter that they told me that it could or couldn't, it was going to. So to look out for those signs would be the biggest thing for me. Because there's so many things that drag off of that. It's, it's a perfect point because we as a society think, oh, you break your ankle, you get a cast on, you get the cast off and everything's fine. Or you have a heart attack, you have heart surgery and you come out and you recover and you're fine. We never consider the mental, emotional impacts of these things ever. That's well, just not a thing. I mean, you know, we kind of talked about depression and stuff like that, but we didn't, you know, like trauma, right? I'm not the only one that went through trauma. My wife, my kids, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my friends, right? They all went through a, a trauma of their own. And for it happened to me at 40 years old, all my friends were like, they're a little older, a little younger, same age, right? So they all were kind of presented with that mortality. Right. And that mortality scares crap out of people. Yeah. It terrifies them. It pushes them away. Right. The smell of death. People don't like it. 
So, so only these brave kind of stick around. And then they were going through their own type of thing. I'm out of questions, but do you have other things you want to share? <laughs> no, not that I can. Okay. Off the top of my head, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I think you said a lot of important things, though. I truly, I didn't know what to expect when we jumped on the line, but you did say a lot of things. I'm like, wow, never thought of that. Like, especially, okay. especially the anger thing. I was taken aback by it. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I get it. Well, yeah, you know, and that, that's something because like you go through it and you think it's so singular for you or something like that. It is. And then you kind of find out like that experience of that, especially like that one hit me because you, you almost don't want to find out that other people were, that they're like just so grateful and that they're living their life to the absolute fullest and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, I hope they're not because I'm not right now. So you, you really feel that way. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing, man. It's the hidden price of miracles is what I call it. Ah, I like that. Huh. I know your book's not out yet, but would you want to plug your book? <laughs> I don't want to, <laughs> if you don't feel comfortable with it, I can just oh, tell no, you. <laughs> well, you know, like, hey, I'm plugging my book to try to sell it. You know what I mean? I didn't write it so that, that people don't read it. I'm at that point, like I finished it, it needs a professional edit to it. But I've sent it out to a lot of people I respect and waited for the feedback. I'm kind of at that point where I'm like, oh, shoot, am I just insane? Or <laughs> Well, we're all insane. It's right, all right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, yeah, I give it to somebody I knew and, and like, they literally haven't said anything about it. And I'm like, okay. Well, do you want to share the name of the book? Oh, it's called No Dreaming Allowed. I know. There's a hundred ways to get a book published, but are you planning on self-publishing? Are you going with a publisher trying to get signed on? I would rather get signed on. That would be my goal. I want to be an author. I want to be a real author. And my final question for you is, do you want to send me a little 20-second snippet of that guitar riff that I could use for the end of the podcast? Yeah, I will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on the show, man. It was awesome talking with you. Of course, Justin. Thank you for having me. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.